Welcome to the Research Works podcast. My name is Dr. Dana Poole and I get the privilege of bringing to you a very special series this week. I am here in Slovenia at the European Academy of Childhood Disability interviewing the researchers and presenters about their work. This is very exciting and I can't wait for you to delve into this whole research conference series. We hope you enjoy the series. Welcome back, everyone, to a special edition of the Research Weeks podcast here in Slovenia, EACD 2023. I have the utmost pleasure now to introduce a guest to you, which I'm sure all of you guys know who she is. I've been trying to get her onto the podcast for a little while now, and I finally have her because we have her here in person, Professor Rosalind Boyd. Welcome. Thanks, Dana. It's lovely to be here. I must say we're all really enjoying the face-to-face. Oh, it's so nice. So nice. It's yep. so, so lovely. I think we've done mm. a few conferences now where it's been virtual and whilst mm. it got us through those few years, there's just yeah. nothing quite like Not seeing each same. other again. No. Yeah, mm. yeah. And you're very, very busy at this conference once again. I do see your name on, on many parts of the <laughs> schedule. Uh, I've been having trouble following the schedule because it's so extensive. There's so much to it. Um, but I'm really interested in talking to you about some of the work you've been presenting and I know that this work is something that is still to be published. So there's, we've got this great, exciting body of work to come. But this work has been performed by not just yourself, but your whole team at the Queensland Cerebral Palsy and Rehabilitation Research Centre, the University of Queensland, which I did visit not so long ago. It's outstanding. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the REACH study. And mm. I think that's the, the, the part that I'm so interested in because there are so many parts to this and I know that this is going to influence practice. Uh, so mm. tell everyone a little bit about what the REACH study actually is. Mm. Well, the REACH study has been a really important collaboration mm. internationally actually. So yeah. four sites in Australia, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne and Perth <laughs> and also in Ohio in the States. Wow. And with collaborators also from Sweden and Italy. So it's been a big team but actually yeah. really it, you're right. Actually it was trying to answer a clinically important question yeah. at that time. Yep. Things to remember is we started in 2015 wow. and the premise was, you know, we registered the trial then and we recruited, we wanted to recruit 150 babies. We recruited 96, but that was, you know, hard enough because we had yeah. fairly specific criteria. Sure. We wanted to pick, and with our friends from Sweden, mm. pick babies that were a high risk of cerebral palsy, yeah. unilateral cerebral palsy. And yeah. at the time, there'd been few studies like Ankyoliasin's on baby Kempt yep. versus massage, one small study from Israel mm-hmm. comparing the two approaches, baby Kempt mm-hmm. versus baby by manual. But none at starting at such a young age. We yeah. wanted to start as early as possible. Yep. So we wanted to use the high risk of CP, mm-hmm. absent fidgety, low hind scores mm-hmm. as one feature, yep. but also um, Im- imaging or crane- on cranial ultrasound or MRI that showed a predominantly asymmetric lesion. Right. But then we had the problem is how much laterality of their hand skills did they have? Ah, sure. And some people were yeah. very concerned that you would recruit babies to this study and you'd be doing constraint-induced movement therapy. And people at that stage were mm. very concerned, were you going to have a, a, an effect on the good hand if ah, you used constraint? Sure. Okay. So we then, luckily, with our Swedish friends, they published a paper soon after that, but Sue Greaves our colleague in Melbourne yes. knew that they were the paper was coming, mm. where a three-point difference on the high mm-hmm. or greater was indicative of a potential unilateral cerebral palsy. Right. So that's why we came up with that. Right, and okay. And the interesting results are that, in a way, even though we did select all those babies 
with those um, range of impairments yep. and features. Yep. When and I just got the question when I presented our results in that we still had sixteen percent of babies in each group mm-hmm. who end up with no clinical signs of CP at the age of two. Wow! So we had the predominant group with unilateral CP, yep. a small group with bilateral CP, yep. but a small group who didn't have CP. Wow, isn't that interesting? And I love mm. how you described, I guess, the evolution mm. of where to head, mm. but it was always mm. very topical. Mm. And when you say you registered back in 2015, it does seem like a little while ago now, but it really was, it's, it's such a forefront because we're talking about yes. early detection. Yes. And if you're going to detect, you want to intervene. Yes. And so that was an important step, wasn't it? Well, and that was the other big d- debate we had, mm-hmm. and particularly with some of your colleagues from Perth, uh-huh. in that, you know, um, they wanted to randomize control trials. So they wanted to compare one or two or have a third arm Mm. who got no treatment. But Mm -hmm. ethically, you can't (laughs) not intervene. And then if you have a comparison group, what does that look like? Does it look like something else that's really a third treatment? So that's why our study design was a randomized comparison trial, similar to what Leanne and I had done in older children with CP. Yes, yes. but in a way, it sort of makes it a bit more challenging to say, are they different? But And you'll yes. see from the results soon yes. that it is similar to the results we found in older children. Yeah. But the important thing is that children with cerebral palsy, both groups have benefited in the study. Yeah. Both approaches are safe. Yep. And they've all had a good outcome. Yeah. So, but the analysis gets more complex when you've got this group of babies who ended up with no features of cerebral palsy. Yeah. So, did we cure them? I'm not sure that we did, but they have very, very um, <clears throat> subtle, only, you know, they have no features of cerebral palsy at two from oh. independent assessment. Yeah. But the good news is we have another study, our MRFF study in Australia, yeah. where we're looking at school readiness right. of all the ch- babies from REACH. Yep. Game yep. and another study on neuroprotection. Right. Where at the age of five, we'll be able to comprehensively look at all those children wow. as to whether they, you know, ended up with any CP features, but wow. any other yep. perceptual, motor, or cognitive difficulties. Yep. So, all your studies have really woven into that, really, mm. for mm. a really comprehensive approach. Mm. Tell me a little bit more about the actual intervention, about the key ingredients. I Mm. feel like I learned Mm. a lot about what the key ingredients were from you and all the work that your team does. Mm. But let's let's go through them again because I think that that's really important to note and why it's different. Yes. Yeah. I think the key ingredient, which we learned a lot because really the baby Kempt is designed by Anke Larson. We Mm -hmm. freely attribute her work because – and then the baby by manual is really has been developed by Sue Grieve and, and, and others, mm-hmm. Sue Greaves and others. But, you know, we all contributed, but they were sort of the underlying principles. It follows the principles of motor learning. Yeah. It's baby Kimt is very different to what's applied in older um, children. Yeah. We do not use a rigid cast mm-hmm. and we very specifically say that. Mm-hmm. And it's activity based practice. Mm. So there's very little manual guidance. Mm. It's um, getting spontaneous motor activity, yes. stimulating activity for the um, involved hand yes. with its baby kimped yep. and using very subtle con- restraint for the uh, non-involved hand. Okay. But the key elements are really that it's a what level do you start at? Sure. Is the baby able to grasp? Yes. Are they pre-grasping? Yes. Are they able to grasp from the table or are they manip- refining their grasp? Yes. 
And the level that we commenced the intervention was mm. very important. Mm. And we used a hand assessment of infants to do that, mm -hmm. to give us an idea of the level of ability. Yeah. And it looks at the ability of each hand yep. and then both hands together. Yep. And no other study has actually done that yeah. within the the development of their intervention. Yeah. So it's not when we talk about the principles of neuroplasticity mm. from Mersnick or Climb, I mean, it's not about the dose. Mm. Everybody carries on about the dose mm -hmm. and that's a big feature I know in the literature. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> it's what you do mm -hmm. and what level you start at that's mm. appropriate, the just right level, yes. not too hard, not yes. too easy. Yes. And is it meaningful, yes. salient yep. to the baby? Are they motivated? Are they paying close attention? Yep. And then it's the properties not only of the activity that you're trying to stimulate, mm. but it's the toy mm. that you're trying to use. Yep. So in constraint, they were unimanual predominantly tasks yes. and activities, Yes. whereas in baby BIM, you're trying to stimulate both hands being involved either sequentially, one after the other, sure. or both hands simultaneously. Yep. And again, it's got to be at the right level. Yep. Is it? pre-grasp, grasp or fine manipulation. Yeah. And then the toys have to be appropriate for a bimanual task. I love that, yeah. So, you know, all those sort of elements, I think that they're very important ingredients. Mm. Mm. ingredients. Mm. But I think the other thing that REACH is very good, good about, when you think about a lot of the other studies being produced, it's not the therapist who's the expert. Yeah, yeah. It's very much geared to yep. the mother delivering the intervention and being the expert yes. using a coaching model. Yes. And people use that sort of terminology fairly freely. <laughs> These days, but, yes. <laughs> but I've just been yeah. in um, Tbilisi in Georgia where we've got, they're part of our oh, yeah. EU project and they sort of said, oh, this is hands-off therapy. <laughs> we want to know how to do hands-off. Yeah. And I said, well, it's actually about how you relate to the mother. Yes. And if from your first visit, even in assessing the baby, yes. do you do all the handling of the baby? Mm. Or I, I would say to them, let the mother do the handling mm. and you observe to assess. Mm -hmm. Use a doll to show them how to position the baby mm -hmm. because you're automatically giving the mother – more confidence and yes. more ability yes. that she's the one to yes. drive what the baby's doing. Yes. Gosh, there's so much gold in there and I'm trying to grasp all my questions I want to ask you, Roz. <laughs> um, let's go to the, the hands-off slash, I guess, coaching. I feel like the way that you've described it is perfect because – as clinicians, we want to be able to observe. And hands-off doesn't mean we're redundant. I sometimes think that mm. there is that misperception that hands-off means we're on the other side of the room, we're not really doing a great deal, we're not using our skills. No. it's We are, actually are using our skills. Can, no, but I, you, think, I think yeah. that a lot of therapists misconstrue <clears throat> their relationship with the parent. Yes. And, I mean, even this week in Tribilsi, we saw some very, very impaired babies who had both, at very young age, had very severe mm. quadriplegia, mm. very severe cerebral visual impairment. Mm -hmm. And just to come in to the hospital for an assessment, parent, the parents are very stressed because their child is not even able to be put down and yeah. on assessment always cries. And, yeah. and I said, and then we did home visits, totally different. Yeah. Babies in their own environment. Sure. But also the parents more in control, they're yep. more relaxed. Yeah. So it's giving parents the confidence to show mm. their baby's skills, mm. Mm. you know, even as part of the assessment process. Yep. But then in the intervention, mm. um, we have families coming back now to the 
the five-year outcomes trial mm -hmm. and we have local providers who have these families going for their NDIS plans. Yes. And they said these parents know exactly what to do. Yeah. They're yeah. all over what goals their baby had, yeah. what they're empowered. Yeah. But they're also autonomous. Yes. They're not – they're able to not just say, oh, well, I'm waiting on the therapist to tell mm. me what to do next. Mm. And whereas the um, local providers tell us those who've had hands-on therapy yeah. consistently in a rehabilitation setting – Yeah. They go to the provider and say, I want to sign up for twice a week till they're age five. Right. Yep. Yeah. They've got okay. no kind of confidence or independence. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Whereas, you know, and, and it's interesting having this discussion with the Eastern yeah. European therapists because yep. they haven't had a lot of training on motor learning sure. or approaches where you're trying to use the context, the environment, yes. the toys to yes. stimulate what you want. Yes. Um, they're reliant on their hands. Yes, yeah. And even I did bone math training. It's almost like you have yep. – I used to talk about people having golden hands. Yeah, you know? I remember and that. <laughs> that was seen as a really great yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. But, in fact, I was lucky when I first trained in London. I had a f uh, mentor, someone called Sophie Levitt. Uh -huh. And Sophie trained me. She said, from the minute you walk in the room – you don't need to touch that baby. Mm. You get the mother to do everything. Mm. And she that sort of really stuck with me, mm. actually. Yeah. 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 It's such a shift, isn't it? And you say that absolutely right. I remember that that feeling of I wanted to be amazing and I wanted to, to touch and feel mm. and manipulate mm. and mm. see what that looked like. So I guess the question from there before I ask you more about the results is how sure are we about these principles of neuroplasticity and motor learning? Every now and then I do hear uh, through the grapevine, usually through interventions that have not even been tested, so mm. they're non-evidence-based, that sort of, I guess, turn the tide and kind of challenge the notions of what our principles of motor learning are in terms of being mm. salient, in terms of being hands-off and child-initiated. Mm. How sure are we about the science, about what it's saying about neuroplasticity and motor learning principles? I think the evidence is pretty strong now. If you look at um, the, the clinical practice guideline on mm. functional therapy, yeah. most of the studies that were effective were yeah. child active. So yeah. I think that is definitely the case. Mm. Child must be active. Yeah. Goal-directed is more effective than non-goal-directed. Yeah. So that implies that the, if the child's active, they're not passively guided. Yes. And they have to be an active p participant in the study. Yep. Now, that that's good, yep. but it gets more challenging with GMSS 4s and 5s. So mm. it's thinking, well, your goals need to be different and yeah. you have to use adaptive equipment or yeah. you have to do other things that are going to make the goal achievable. Mm. In fact, there was a lovely session this morning with Helen Palatarko and um, Hortensia Gimeno, who you should interview, mm, yes. about the <laughs> co-op approach. And yep. I think it was good that they yep. kind of talk about you set goals, mm -hmm. but you also set clinically meaningful goals yeah. that the child has um, incorporated or yep. the family. Yeah. But but also it's it's um, thinking, you know, not only about what you're trying to do, the goal, but also how much the incrementation is. Yes. And I think that's where the broad principles of motor learning have been helpful. Yeah. I mean, I originally was trained under Roberta Shepherd, so yeah. always a great <laughs> okay. discussion. Someone who inspired me <laughs> yep. to do paediatric yep. physiotherapy. Yeah, wow. But um, I think it's also about how do children learn? Mm. You know, when I was in England, we had families coming from Europe and then they still get Voiter therapy yeah. in some places. Yep. And I'd say, yep. is the baby enjoying it? Yeah. 
and they'd say, well, no, the baby cries quite a lot, I'm afraid. And Mm. I'd say, well, do you think they're learning? (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think those principles of neuroplasticity, Mm. um, not so much dose, actually. I don't Mm -hmm. think dose is crucial is um, salience, Mm -hmm. um, meaningful that the baby is paying close attention. They're motivated. Okay. Um, The child is active. Yeah. Goal directed. Yeah. I think those features tell you whether it's something successful or not. And it sounds like in the the REACH study is those are all implemented but uh, empowered for parents to be able to carry it out. Absolutely. It's not about us. No. Well, it's about the parents recognising and saying, oh, now what's the next step? What's the next thing that they're going to do? Great. And having that autonomy to see that they could – start to think, you know, and when we did our LEAP trial in India, there was mm-hmm. that great challenge. Mm. We still, again, had them in a good situation for practising their hand skills. Yep. Pretty challenging in Kolkata and the countryside. Oh, my goodness. We had basic, you know, principles of yeah. a small chair with a table, but, you know, they often lived in the slum with no, not wow. even a floor, yeah. let alone a chair. So wow. positioning the baby so they could focus on their hand function, but yeah. then the parents picking objects from the environment yeah. as toys because yeah. they don't have toys. Great, yeah. And it's just uh, tailoring it to, to that sort of context, I Absolutely. suppose. And that's, I guess that's the power of all these motor learning principles too is that it's not so dependent on um, having the haves and the have-nots, I suppose. Absolutely. You know, you, we are empowering each person. So I, I know that the results are still to be published, so I don't want to give too much away. But in terms of a nutshell, what can we look forward to? What can we sort of glean from some of the results you have so far that you can share with us? I think the important thing is both both approaches were safe. Great. So even starting baby Kim early was not a problem. Great. They did not have any issue with mm-hmm. their mo- early um, manual ability, motor development. Great. Um, even if they had some short periods of constraint. Yeah. So they're both safe treatments. Yep. They were both effective. Mm-hmm. Um, some maybe not – we don't know differentially between um, – I think according to their level of ability, it would be good to do a second analysis according sure. to the level of ability yeah. because the it was – treatments were effective for moderate to high-functioning children. Yep. But – the low-functioning children, it's harder to shift their abilities. Sure, okay. And I think that's what we're finding in all our early intervention trials. Yeah, okay. um, You'll need to talk to Kath Benford because she's about to submit her um, LEAP trial. But, okay. you know, there's a difference between um, severity as sure. to the outcome of these early intervention trials. Okay. And I think we need to think what we do for the more severe children yeah. is different, yeah. which is why – kind of motor learning approaches that are adapted to yes. the sort of level of ability but also what the context is yeah. and the child being involved. Yeah. Um, and I guess <clears> the goals are different. Absolutely. The yeah. goals are different. Goals are but, different. you know, mm. for therapists, if we're not, we can't expect children who are GMSCS 4 and 5 mm. to have the same goals or the yeah. same increment. For sure. Yeah. Or potentially in the same treatment because it will yeah. be adaptation yeah. Yeah. of True. their environment to achieve their goals. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. And I think, look, we'll, uh, I'll definitely be knocking on your door once the, this all gets uh, published, which would be fantastic. Mm. But that gives mm. like, such a great taster for it. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. Now, before I let you go, um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to ask a final question because I know you're also talking to a lot of early career researchers mm. whilst you're here. You've certainly been wonderful and influential for me. I've been to your courses, uh, particularly the one that helped me the most is writing grants because that's just a big part of it and systematic review courses. 
But for, from your perspective, you've, you've now mentored and supported so many of us mm. to get through PhDs and, and to mm. go further from that. What would be your number, oh, let's go top three tips, I suppose, <laughs> for what you'd encourage us to be doing mm. and, and how we can make sure that we're fulfilled in our career, but actually making the impact that, you know, we hope to do so with research. Mm, thank you. Well, I yeah. enjoy it. I really enjoy <laughs> mentoring young people towards their career development. I mean, I didn't do my PhD till I was after 15 years of clinical practice. Mm, okay. And I kind of say now, do a PhD, do it early. Don't, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a training. It's okay. a stepping stone. It's a good point. gives you a yeah. process. It's not going to be the Nobel Prize. Mm. Like yep. you don't have to put all your thoughts and energy into that PhD. Yeah, yeah. It's the first step. Yep. I think the other thing is to – and do it early because people, particularly as therapists, people don't really take you seriously until you've got a PhD <laughs> yep. in the yep. grand scheme of getting, yep. grants, getting grants and getting your own team. Yeah, true. Um, yep. I would make sure that you pick a topic that you're really passionate about mm-hmm. but, you know, get good advice about the – the sort of feasibility of what you're going to do and yeah, whether you've good. got the sample size and the study mm. design, mm. pick good mentors yeah. who are going to be invested in you. Yeah. Look at their track records of yeah. get not only getting people through their PhDs but supporting them and mentoring them into their next careers Yeah, because I think that's very important because not all mentors are going to be there for you True. through the whole journey yeah. and I think that's the other tip. Yep. You need a mentor. You always need a mentor, actually, yeah. no yep. matter what level you're at. Yep. And when when I was in uh, Melbourne, we ac- they actually brought in a new thing, which I thought was really great. Uh-huh. You can have a secret mentor. Oh. So it didn't have to be your boss. It didn't have yep. to be your supervisor. In yep. fact, it was probably good to have someone a bit independent. Yeah. Someone who could look independently at what you're doing yep. and you can have a conversation and get honest feedback. And they said, who should we pick? And they said, pick someone who's where you'd like to be in five years. Mm. So I picked a professor in medicine who was a woman. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, that'll be great. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. And your point about mentors is so true. I remember Mm. that's probably when I started looking at mentors I don't think we routinely think about that when you, you know, become a professional. You kind of yes. just graduate and you, if you do a PhD, your supervisor is kind of your automatic mentor. Mm. Um, but to have that structured support uh, is, is really vital, isn't it? And you yeah. need honest feedback yeah. because you get very ingrained in your approach. Of course. Yeah. <clears throat> and you think you're always right. <laughs> yeah. But maybe you kind of need some independent opinion, yeah. which yeah. I think is good. Yeah, always. But the other thing I'd say too for all young students and even clinicians going into research, use that time. It's the best time of your life to maximise your track record and yeah. publications because yeah. then you want to lead out as you are mm. <laughs> with your own studies that you're yeah. leading. Mm. And, you know, you need that behind you to help get you funding. But I would also ride on the coattails of other people (laughs) until you get that autonomy and you're going to need a mentorship for some time. I mean, I even have a mentor now. Um, Everybody has mentors and I think that's a good thing. That's so wonderful. Roz, thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I know all these things that you've said uh, are true and real because I've lived through them too. So, I mean, I'm on the other side of the country, but uh, (laughs) um, that still happens in that way. So, yeah, yeah, no, thank you for what you've done for the profession and and for your support for so many researchers. Oh, thank you. Well, I really enjoy what I do. Yeah. I think I've said to people a few times, there's not one day that I don't enjoy going to work. That's great. And the one thing that inspired me to work in cerebral palsy Mm. was actually seeing Roberta Shepherd back Amazing. in the 80s yeah. when I was a student yeah. talking about cerebral palsy and I thought, 
I'm never going to run out of questions to answer. <laughs> There's always going to be something interesting. And it's yeah. got more and more exciting, yeah. 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 I think, it's with what we're doing. It's to be right mm. now, absolutely. Well, thank you once Pleasure. again. Thank you, thank you. Uh, for To all of our listeners, of course, um, we'll put links for all of this too on our website, researchworks.net. Stay tuned for more about the REACH study. So stay tuned. We'll definitely make sure we interview Ros yeah. again all about that. Um, but hope you enjoy the series and I'll talk to you all again really soon. Bye. Bye. 